Here we go. This, yes, you can hear me now. All right. I want to welcome all of you this morning. Thank you for being here with us. YouTube and Facebook, we welcome you. We are uh, looking at a couple of messages from the book of Revelation. We're taking a bit of a break from our series that we started a few weeks ago on modern-day Joseph's Joseph. I was finishing a series in the book of Revelation on our daily devotions that I do every day from Monday to Friday, and I felt compelled to share a few uh, chapters from our series in the book of Revelation that I feel is apropos and appropriate for the hour in which we live in. And uh, we talked about Revelation chapter 18 last week. We want to look at Revelation chapter 19 this week. So if you have your Bibles, we'll begin at verse number 1. Revelation chapter 19. Notice verse number 1. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at And again they said, Hallelujah, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God and sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came out from the throne saying, Praise our God and his servants and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and the voice of many waters the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See, thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies which are in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. 
and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture, on his thigh, a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. By way of introduction, let me ask you a question, brothers and sisters. If you knew that Jesus was coming, would you be in dread or would you be in delight? Would you be in fear or would you be in delight? If you knew Jesus Christ was coming tonight, today, this very hour, this very moment, would you be in fear or would you be in delight? How many plans would you have to change? Hmm. How many wrongs would you have to make right if you knew that Jesus Christ was coming today? You see, friends, that reality, the fact that you know that Jesus Christ is coming and if you knew that he was coming, if you believed it with all your heart, it would change the way you live. It would change how you function, what you do. How you live each and every day is based on that. For what you believe, here comes my next B, is how you behave. And if you believe that Jesus Christ is coming, it will change the way you live, I don't care what background you come from, what denomination you are in, it will change the way you live. You see, it's one thing to say the Lord is coming, and He's coming soon. It's another thing to truly believe it. And this chapter we have just read is different from all the rest of the chapters in the book of Revelation because we see a transfer from darkness into light. We are in the middle of the tribulation period here in chapter 16, 17, and 18. We come to chapter 19. The church has been raptured. In Revelation chapter 4, God gives John a vision on the Isle of Patmos. And he looks into heaven as God pulls back the curtain. And he sees the glory of the Lord. He sees the throne. He sees all these precious stones. He sees angels and cherubims and seraphims worshiping at the throne with the 24 elders. Casting their crowns before the Lord. But the, on earth... Something horrible is happening. John sees a vision of heaven. And once the church is raptured, because from chapter 4 to the end of Revelation, there's no mention of church on earth, because the church is in heaven. The church has been raptured. In Revelation 1 to 3, John speaks about the churches, addresses the churches that Jesus gave him. But from chapter 4 to the end, there's no mention of the church. The church has been raptured. And John sees a vision of heaven. And he sees a marriage supper of the Lamb. He sees the glory of the Lord. But on earth, on earth we see a contrast. Once the church is raptured, the tribulation period begins for seven years. And we see a transfer taking place. 
this chapter ushers in one of the greatest events of all time. The bride is coming with his church. The earth is experiencing tribulation, but we see a transfer at the end of the tribulation period. We see a great battle taking place, the battle of Armageddon, where Jesus and the saints will fight in this battle. And now after this battle ushers in the thousand year millennial reign that we're going to be talking about next week. But this is an incredible moment. And in John's vision, he sees something going on in heaven that's almost indescribable. I want you to notice in the first six verses, he sees a celebration. He sees all kinds of incredible activities taking place. And he sees a group crying out, worshiping the Lord. Notice we see this word hallelujah. After these things I heard a great voice of much people. There's a lot of people in heaven and John gets a vision of what's going on in heaven and he sees a great celebration going on while on earth there's great tribulation going on. And he hears and he sees a voice saying hallelujah salvation and glory and honor and power be unto the Lord so while on earth there is tribulation and hell as the antichrist is leading his armies here on earth the fight against God in heaven in chapter 19 he sees many people much people who are these people we'll talk about that in a few moments and they're celebrating but what are they celebrating notice hallelujah there's no H it's hallelujah did you see that hallelujah the word appears only four times but the H is left out because in the original there was no H it's hallelujah it means praise ye the Lord and in our text we see why there's this great celebration and I'm going to break it down there are four reasons at least four reasons why there's an incredible celebration going on in heaven so what is the contrast in heaven there's celebration on earth there's tribulation all hell is breaking loose but there's a party going on in heaven so to speak and we're going to find out why I'm going to give you some principles that begin with S I want you to notice number one verse number one hallelujah for what? for the salvation of God and so these people that are in heaven we'll, we'll talk about who they are they're rejoicing and they're celebrating for what? for salvation notice what it says much people have for salvation and glory and honor salvation salvation why because it's a reminder to all of us in heaven that it is God and God alone who brings salvation it is God who came to this earth Jesus was sent by the Father to die for you and me the greatest gift known to man that Jesus died for us for what for salvation we couldn't save ourselves there's nothing we can do that can save us in fact the Bible tells us in Ephesians that we're saved by his grace and so there's rejoicing in heaven for salvation salvation comes from God you can't save yourself that's why there's such a celebration because of what God had done for you and me that's must, must never forget that every communion service we have we are reminded of his salvation 
do this in remembrance of me. We remember. And so they're rejoicing. They're celebrating for the greatest gift known to man. Salvation, number one. Here comes my next S. And we don't like to talk much about this one. But notice this. Hallelujah for the severity of God. Verses 2 and 3. The severity of God. For true and righteous are his judgments. Excuse me? Yes, his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore. Who is the great whore? We talked about that uh, in our daily devotions. The great whore was a system called Mystery Babylon, where the Antichrist leads the religious world and the political world together, where you see church and state married together. What we're seeing taking place today. Have anybody heard about the new Ten Commandments that's out? The new Ten Commandments, have you heard that? led by different religious, led by the Pope, they're trying to bring a new Ten Commandments to the world based on climate change. Excuse me? Based on, it's absolutely, it's almost indescribable. But there's going to be an antichrist that's going to be politically and religiously inclined, and he's going to amalgamate all these groups together called Mystery Babylon. A system, a mindset... And God's going to judge that system. God's going to judge the Antichrist. The destruction of Babylon has taken place. And they're rejoicing. They're rejoicing that he's come to bring judgment upon the sin of those who have rejected. And I know, again, seems unpopular. We don't like to talk about sin and judgment. We just want to talk about what God wants to give me and what God wants to bless me with. But God is going to bring judgment. Judgment against all lawlessness, all sin. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 and 2, we discover that one of the ministries of the Messiah is not just to bring salvation, but also to bring the vengeance of the Lord. For the Spirit of God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. That's what Jesus did as the Lamb of God, to proclaim liberty to the captives. There is His mercy. There is grace to open the prison to them that are bound. There is His mercy. There is grace to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. There is His mercy. There is His grace. And the day of vengeance. That's when Jesus comes back as the Lion of Judah. What we see up to this point is the Lamb of Judah, the Lamb of God. When he died on the cross, that was the Lamb. When he bled for you and me, that was the Lamb. But when he comes back to fight in the battle of Armageddon, you will see the lion executing judgment upon the earth and vengeance. They're praising and celebrating for the severity of God, for the destruction of Babylon. Heaven's rejoicing. It's an answer to prayer, Revelation chapter 6, verse 10. You remember the martyrs that were dying for their faith during the tribulation period? They did not take the mark of the beast, 666. They rejected it, but they had to lose their lives because of it. They were martyred, and they're crying out in heaven, How long, Lord, will this take place? God is answering. God is answering his vengeance upon the earth. Now, some people can't understand how, how can they rejoice for the destruction of these sinners, for the destruction of mystery Babylon, which is a mindset, which is the ways of the world. But my friends, let me 
me tell you, the Bible says all of God's judgments are true and just. All of God's judgments are true and just. There's a reason why God is going to judge. There's a reason why God is going to exercise vengeance. That's part of his character. Look, sin will always have to be dealt with. That's his justice. It's going to happen. You see, that sin and evil finally will be taken care of. And this is the reason why they're rejoicing. They're rejoicing that evil is finally going to be destroyed. Taken care of as the Antichrist and the devil and Satan himself will be cast into the lake of fire. And they're rejoicing Verse number three, notice smoke rising up forever and ever. Did you see that? Smoke has a lot of significance in the Bible. But one of the symbols of smoke is judgment. Smoke goes up forever because no matter how long the judgment of God takes place, these people will not change. The Bible tells us also in Revelation, remember that? They they were actually praying for the rocks to fall upon them. They rather commit suicide. They would rather die apart from God than repent. That's what happens with some people. Their hearts are so hard, they would rather die than repent and turn to God. Can you imagine the hardness of people's hearts? These people are aware of God, but they don't want to repent and turn to God. They would rather pray to rocks that they would fall and die than to pray to God. Can you? That's the hardness of man's heart. The heart is desperately wicked, the Bible says in Jeremiah 17. They don't want to turn to God. And their hearts get harder. The more you reject God, the harder your hearts become. The smoke speaks of judgment. It's amazing how people just get harder and harder and harder. And you know, when you look at Romans chapter 1, verse 18, the Bible says, You know, it talks about the wrath of God and it talks about the wrath of God to certain groups of people that have rejected God. And I just want to read something because we've read it last week, but I want to read it again because this is extremely important. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, I'll just find it here for us. Notice what it says. It says here, watch now. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness who hold the truth in unrighteousness but don't follow the truth. So these people, they, they understood the truth but didn't want to walk in truth. These people in the tribulation period, they're going to know the truth but they don't want to follow the truth. In other words, they're mocking God, they're ridiculing God, and they don't want to, they're building their own tower of Babylon, their own tower of Babel. They don't want anything to do with God because they become their own gods. You see, you reject God when you say you don't need God, and you say you don't need God because you become your own God. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it to them. So God has revealed himself to them. For the invisible things from the creation of the world are clearly seen, 
being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they were without excuse. So God has revealed it to them through natural creation, but also God's revealed themselves spiritually to them, and yet they still didn't want to serve God. They were without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their own imaginations. And verse 23, they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into the image like corruptible things and birds. So they began to worship the creation rather than the creator. Wherefore God, verse 24, also gave them up to the uncleanliness and the lusts of their own hearts. And we see that today. And so men's hearts are getting harder and harder and harder. And these people, a lot of them had some understanding. Have you ever seen the people that are so anti-Christ, so against God? Have you ever done a bit of research and find out where they come from? A lot of them were raised in Sunday school. Did you know that? A lot of them were teachers. Some of them were preachers. They knew God, but something happened. And they turned away. And they refused. They become harder and harder. These people in Revelation 6 are praying that the rocks would fall on them rather than to repent and turn to God. And they knew that this judgment came from God and they still didn't repent. And so they're celebrating for the salvation of God. They're celebrating for the severity of God. Then number three, they're celebrating for the sovereignty of God. Notice verse number four. Notice verse number four. Look what it says here. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts felt and they worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. And a voice came out, throne saying, Praise our God and all his servants and all for him, for both and small. We want to praise him for his greatness, for his, for his sovereignty, for who he is. Notice they say, Amen. Did you see that? Amen. 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 This is a word found the first time right here. Amen. In this book, in Numbers, it was mentioned. And it means to affirm. It means to bind. Yes and amen. The promises of God are what? Yes and amen, Paul. It says, let it be so. It's a confirmation. When you say amen, it's a confirmation. Yes. Amen. It's a confirmation of what's being declared. In our text, the 24 elders and the cherubims expressed their contentment for the destruction of this mystery Babylon, the great whore. We just read it now. The great whore that causes other nations to commit idolatry. That's what it means to to other nations to fall away. People falling away. That's why the, the, the worst thing that someone can do is lead someone astray. The worst thing you can do is lead someone into ungodliness. The worst thing someone can do is lead someone away from from God and God is going to judge nations for leading nations away from God leading cultures away from God instead of preaching the truth preaching righteousness they preach the other thing they preach ungodliness they preach man is on the throne they preach the, 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 the supremacy of man and they deify man and by doing so they turn many away from God they're going to be judged for that By saying amen, they're saying God is in control. He is sovereign. He's the alpha and the omega. 
And now watch this, as the volume of praise grows, we see amen reaching a crescendo in our text. It's so interesting, friends, that this word amen goes through every culture. I remember as a little boy going to the Greek Orthodox Church and the priest would say, it was a sermon, I didn't understand because it was in Greek and I didn't understand Greek back then. And, and, and then my father would be beside me. And, and, but I, would, I remember the word, they wouldn't say amen, they would go amen and amen. And so then my father said, okay, to do the sign of the cross. And so I'd make the sign of the cross, amen. I mean, I mean, I remember that as a little boy. Every culture, whether you're from Uganda, whether you're from Greece, whether you're from Italy, whether you're from Bulgaria, whether you're from Romania, whether you're from the Sudan, they all have the same word, amen. It's universal. Notice all these nations are saying amen. Saying amen, hallelujah, amen, hallelujah. It's a crescendo of praise for the sovereignty of God, for the salvation of God, for the severity of God. All these believers, they understand why they're celebrating and they're saying amen. But it's personal. They understand it. They're not just echoing it. Because they've experienced salvation. So they're saying amen. You see, I can't say it for you. You need to say it for yourself. It's like the song we sing. Lord, it's one of your favorite songs. Raise a hallelujah. I can't raise it for you. You need to raise it for yourself. It's like your banner. It's your flag. It's who you, you're raising it because it's coming out of your own experience. like salvation you're not saved because your mother's saved or because your father's saved my children aren't saved because daddy's a preacher no, nobody's saved through osmosis God's got no grandchildren he's got children it's got to be personal you've got and so it's your own hallelujah and they're praising him with understanding you got to lift it up and we're going to praise him for the severity for God's righteous judgments I'm praising him because God brought down the walls of Jericho in my life I'm praising him because he turned my captives away I'm praising him because uh, because of what he's done for what he's doing I'm praising him because if it wasn't for God I wouldn't be able to even to say a word I'm praising him because he got me out of that pit he brought me up also out of that pit unto the mire. He got he set my feet upon a rock and established my going. I'm praising him for what he's done. I'm praising him for what he's doing. I'm praising him for who he is. You see, it's personal. It's personal. Which leads me to my fourth S. They're saying hallelujah, verses five and six, because of the supremacy of God. Here's a final shout of praise coming from these, all these hosts of heaven. We see a crescendo. My God, friends, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that what? That Jesus is Lord. There's going to be a great symphony of praise. I don't see Buddha there. I don't see Muhammad there. I don't see Krishna. Nobody's bowing their knee at Buddha or Krishna and all these false doctrines and false teachings that lead people astray. Nobody's bowing. They're bowing their knee to Jesus. Jesus, because he alone is supreme. He alone is the king. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He alone has one foot on the land and one foot upon the sea. He's got no rivals. He's got no equals like we sing. He is the one who will be worshipped. 
forever and ever. And so they're rejoicing and they're celebrating for the salvation of God, for the severity of his justice, for his sovereignty, for his supremacy. Oh, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Oh, my friends, all of us need to shout amen because Jesus says, surely, Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, surely I'm coming, surely I'm coming again, surely I'm coming quickly, not perhaps, surely, amen, he's coming, he's coming. The question is, are you ready? As I asked you earlier, if you knew he was coming tonight, what plans would you have to change? Who would you have to say sorry to? What would you need to change? Surely he's coming. Despite the scoffers in 2 Peter 3, 4, where they say, where is the coming of the Lord? Where is, as they mock, I hear it today, where is the coming of the Lord? Where is the coming of the Lord? As they mock and jeer. But he's coming. You can be sure he's coming. And now the question is to be answered in our text. Now watch this. There's two key passages that prophesy the coming of the Lord. Zechariah chapter 14 verses 3 and 4. Zechariah chapter 14 verses 3 and 4. I want you to see what it says here as Zechariah prophesies the second coming. This is not to be confused with the rapture. The rapture is one thing. The second coming or the second advent is another thing. These are two separate events. Many people confuse the rapture with the second coming of the Lord. The rapture, Jesus is coming to rapture the church before the tribulation. In the second coming, Jesus will come to fight in the battle of Armageddon and every eye will see him and he's coming with the saints. And we see this in Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 where the Bible says every eye will see him but that is to be contrasted with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and chapter 4 where the Bible says and for, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10 where the Bible says that he's coming as a thief in the night a thief not everybody's going to see a thief he's coming secretly he's coming for his church and the rapture takes place and that will trigger the tribulation period and after the seven year tribulation period Jesus will come again called the second advent with his saints that have been raptured he's coming he's coming to rapture the church but he's coming also after the seven years as the lion Zechariah chapter 14 then then, what then? After a period of time, after the seven year tribulation, shall the Lord go forth to fight against those nations? We know this is the second coming because in the rapture, he's not fighting any nations. He's coming as a thief. So this can't be the rapture. This is the second coming. The second, he's fighting against what nations? Ezekiel 38, the Antichrist will assemble nations to fight against God. Gog and Magog. I wish I had more time to talk about that battle. But he's going to fight against the nations as when he fought in the day of the battle. He's coming again. Verse number four. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. If you're coming to Israel with us this year, you're going to see the Mount of Olives. A fascinating place, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and towards the west. And there... And there shall the very great valley and the half the mountain shall remove towards the north. In other words, a great earthquake will take place. 
Something will shift. And did you know that they discovered a fault on that particular area? A fault line where it's sensitive and there was even a hotel there that they had to remove because of this fault line. And the Bible tells us when Jesus comes back, he's going to come back to the very same place that he ascended. And in Acts chapter 1, the Bible tells us he ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives. And he's going to come back to the Mount of Olives, just like a salmon. You know a salmon always returns to the place of its birth? Did you know that? I've seen many documentaries on the salmon. It's amazing. They will go back to the very place they were born, even if they're thousands of miles away. And they are. Jesus will come back to the very place that he ascended. In Acts chapter 8, verses... Acts chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, we see that he ascended to heaven. Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 and 30. Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 and 30. These are the words of Jesus. Immediately after the tribulation, immediately after the tribulation, did you see that? In those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven. There was a meteor taking place the other day. I heard. Did anybody hear about this meteor? A great bank, of, a meteor. And the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Watch this now. And, the, watch this now. and then shall appear the sun of the son of man in heaven watch this now and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the son of man the bible confirms the bible where the lord will come back again in the second advent after the tribulation period that's not the rapture this is the second heaven and he's coming back to destroy the evil one once and for all as the lion of judah Amen. oh my friends it's made very very clear that in the second coming of christ the world will behold him, Revelation chapter 1 verse 7, but in the rapture only a few, only the church that's ready, only the church that's anticipating him will be taken up. And that's why in Revelation chapter 3, the church stops. And in Revelation chapter 4, John sees a vision of heaven and there he sees the church represented by the 24 elders. Wow. And so, friends, Matthew 24, like lightning, that's what Jesus said, lightning and sun in the midst of darkness, the whole sky is illuminated with the power and glory of the Lord. He will be accompanied by his saints. You see, this is the event that crescendos all events. He's coming again. I want to break down chapter 19 in four A's. I want to talk about the second advent. I want to talk about the armies. I want to talk about his authority. And I want to talk about the avenging of our God. First, the advent. The advent, verses 11 and 13 of Revelation 19. Revelation 19 we're going to look at the advent, this event that's going to take place. We'll begin here in verses 11 to 13 of chapter 19. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Notice he makes war. God is making war. God is going to avenge the enemies. That's right, God is making war. And for some of you who don't think that's possible, read your Bible. His eyes were as flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Did you see that? And he was clothed with vesture dipped in blood, 
and his name is called the Word of God. Wow. Wow. Listen, friends. In these verses, John sees the door of heaven open. He sees it open up. The first time we see this in Revelation 4.1, the reason so that the church enters into heaven after the rapture, after the rapture. The second time here in John 19.11, John 19.11, it's open again. Why? So saints can come out of heaven and go down to the earth to fight along with him in the battle of Armageddon. And so the first time this door opens to go in, the second time it opens so we can go out together with him wow what an event what an event the second advent with Christ we are going to be with him to fight in the battle of Armageddon in the battle of Armageddon now watch this Jesus is not only coming back visibly physically but to the very exact place as I mentioned And the Bible tells us when his feet hit the mountain of olives, it will split it in two. It will split in two like a great earthquake. Every time something incredible took place, some kind of cataclysmic event. When Jesus was crucified, what happened after he was crucified? An earthquake. Now we see another earthquake taking place. Do you see the parallel? That's why the centurion said, when Jesus was crucified, he was awestruck. He said, surely, this is no ordinary man. This is the Son of God. Amen. Wow. Something's going to happen. Something powerful. There will be some kind of geological cataclysmic event. You can be sure of that. And then we are introduced to certain titles that Jesus has in verse 11. Notice, it says, faithful and true. Word of truth, word of God and the king of kings. Why are these names important, these titles? Because they represent who Jesus is. And we see similarities in John sees in Revelation chapter 1 when John was banished on the Isle of Patmos Jesus appears to him and he sees him in a way he's never seen him nobody was closer to Jesus than John John was the one who had his head upon the chest of Christ he knew Jesus and he was closer to him than any other disciple or apostle but when he saw Jesus he fell to the ground and worshiped him. He saw him in a way he's never seen it because he saw Jesus for who he really is. When he saw Jesus the first time while Jesus was on earth, this is where Jesus became the God-man, the Theoanthropos. This is where we see the kenosis where God emptied himself and became a man. He saw Jesus as the Lamb of God, the Lamb walking. Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. But now he sees him differently. On the Isle of Patmos, he saw Jesus as God he saw Jesus not just as the God man but God he divinity stood before him he saw him after 
the resurrection for who he really is and he sees him right here in the same way what is it how does how does john describe jesus in revelation chapter 1 verse 14 15 16 his head his hairs were white and wool as white as snow his eyes were as like a flame of fire verse 15 his feet like unto fine brass as if they burned in the furnace and his voice as a sound of many waters and he had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth were two sharp sharp sword uh, and his countenance was like the sun shineth in his strength and when I saw him I fell down as a dead man and now he sees him again here verse 11 I saw heaven open up a white horse and they called him faithful and true and righteousness his eyes were as a flame of fire and his head were many crowns and he had name written no man knew it but he himself and he was clothed with vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God wow sees the same thing verse 12 he's described as one whose eyes are fire the flames of fire we see this in Revelation 1 you see when Jesus comes again he's pictured as a judge who has x-ray eyes my friend who sees the motives who sees the hearts of men he sees what's going on he sees reality he sees beyond the veneer eyes of fire and then says uh, he describes him here it says verse uh, later said the head of many crowns we see a picture of his kingship of his messiahship uh, that he is the sovereign king of kings many crowns the Greek word is not Stephanos it's diadem a, a crown that belongs to a king these are not Stephanos these are crowns given to those who serve him rewards given crowns that are given it's not the same word here it is the word diadem that's reserved for a king Jesus is the king wearing these crowns we see a great picture of who he is my friends he's coming again for all of eternity they're going to be praising him verse 13 then we see another picture notice here this is a picture of the lamb his blood even though he's coming back as a lion we must never forget that Jesus came first as a lamb that it was his blood that was shed upon the cross, the cross that saved us if it wasn't for the fact that he was a lamb we couldn't celebrate the fact that he's a lion if the fact that he came as a lamb is why we're here today it is the lambhood of God that saves us it was his blood that was shed on the cross that saves us why they were rejoicing just a few minutes ago because of his salvation because of his lambhood because of Isaiah 53 he came as a lamb led to the slaughter it's all about his blood on the cross and his body beaten and bruised for us John sees that here his blood vesture dipped with blood a picture of the cross we must never forget that that's why he said whenever you take the communion don't forget do this in remembrance the blood we must never forget the blood for all of eternity my brothers and sisters we will be reminded of his blood forever and for some of you false teachers that want to remove the blood you're in trouble because the blood will be reminded for the rest of eternity we will see his blood as a reminder of what he did for us on the cross Yes, my brothers and sisters, in heaven we're going to have a great time of celebration for eternity. It'll be one 
extended communion service in what he did for us. Oh my God, what a day that will be. This is going to be our song. This is why they're celebrating. But it's their song of celebration because they've experienced it something. Series, something that they had before before they even died. They experienced something. I hear so many people say, oh, I'm just going to wait to give my life a little bit later on. Let me live this life before. I'm not, I'm not interested right now. I want to enjoy myself a little bit. Then I'll give my life to Christ when it's convenient for me. Oh, no, 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 folks. You must never wait till it's convenient for you because you never know when that day will come. These people experience something. You can't rejoice like this unless you've experienced something. That's why the Bible says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So they're singing and they're celebrating. And when Jesus comes back, every eye will see him. I say, Pastor Dina, you see? Now I know that's ridiculous because how can that be? Well, with technology today, It's possible, isn't it? You can see right now what's going on in Qatar. There's a soccer game going on soon. You're able to see it, yet there's a, what, 12-hour difference or something like that? I I know in Israel there's 12 hours. Satellite. And some scholars believe that every eye is going to see it because of technology today that we have the capacity and the capability of seeing what's going on right now in Guam or in Australia. Many, many, many years ago, this could have been, how can it be? But today, we see how possible it is. So we see the advent, this incredible advent. But notice now the armies. Oh, there's armies. My next A, the armies. Notice here with white horses and fine linen. Oh, my friends, this has been prophesied. Jude verses 14 and 15 prophesies this event. Let me tell you, the Bible will always confirm the Bible, not the preachers confirming preachers. The Bible will confirm the Bible. What does the Bible say? I don't care what you say. What does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says that there's going to be a great event taking place. And in Jude 14, we see Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. This is during the time of Enoch. Thousands of years ago, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with what? 10,000 of his saints. Didn't make sense back then, but it makes sense now to execute what? judgment oh pastor you're talking about judgment again I'm not the Bible does I think I want to just talk it's right here judgment upon what all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all hard speeches and un how many times you see ungodly and yet today you turn on the TV and you listen to these famous preachers they won't mention that once they won't mention ungodly they won't mention sin they won't mention judgment they're going to tell you it's okay you made a small mistake it's alright God loves you 
just, you got to just tap into the divine that you have already. Yeah, just tap into it. You'll be able to make it. You can make it. Because you have it. Nothing. You don't need to change. You don't need to change a thing, they'll tell you. Stephen Furtick, they'll tell you you're okay, Mr. Furtick, and, and you have it all already inside of you. You don't need to change. And when God, God doesn't change you from glory to glory, no, no, you don't, don't, you don't need to change because you got it in you. In fact, when God is working in you, he's just making you realize it, that you've got it all along inside of you. And so I am my own divinity. I am my own God because I got it all in me already. I just got to realize it, you see. You just don't see it. You haven't been enlightened yet, Mr. Progressive Christianity. You haven't been enlightened yet. So once you get enlightened that you are a God, then you'll be able to realize that gods don't sin. Oh, yeah. Friends, when you get to see what's really going on today in some of these teachings, you might feel maybe a little bit like I do. Very disturbing. How many people are being sucked into the vortex of falsehood today? Because it sounds good. It sounds good. I like the way it sounds. It makes me feel good. And I want to follow a teaching that makes me feel good. Because if I don't feel good, then I don't want it. I got to feel good. And that's exactly what Isaiah said concerning some of these preachers. They preach a message, chapter 30, watch this now, of smooth sayings. Isaiah chapter 30. Smooth sayings. It sounds good. It doesn't disrupt things. It makes me feel better about myself. After all, I get all this negativity all along. I don't need any more. So I don't want to think about this. I just want to think how good I am, how great I am, and how much God loves me. That means I don't have to change. You see, you see, if I don't have to change, I feel good about that. That, might, that. that must mean I'm a good man. I don't need to change. I don't need to repent. There's a teaching out there that tells us that Christians don't even have to repent. Do you know that? And it's very popular. Very popular. Don't need to repent about anything. Because only Israel had to repent. The church doesn't have to repent. Because in Him we're perfect. So we don't need to repent. And so they twist the scripture. So it sounds good. Smooth sayings. It sounds good. It's appealing to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and it, and it, almost, it almost deifies ourselves. And, and we like that. We like that because we don't want to change. We don't want to repent. 
We want to keep doing the things we always do. If we can have God with us, that's good. So as long as God is with us and I don't have to repent or turn around, then I kind of like that teaching and I want to go to a church where I feel good. I want to go to a church where I don't have to hear about all these things because I, I, I get uncomfortable. Well, let me tell you something, friends. If you're going to a church where you're always comfortable, get out of that place because the Holy Spirit convicts us of and righteousness and if I'm serving God just so I can feel good you will never grow nobody ever grows because he feels good growth always takes takes place with self-examination let a man examine himself And if I'm being taught you're great, you're wonderful, there's nothing you need to do, you are, you've got it in you, how am I going to grow if I got it in me? There have never been times like the times in which we live in today. We have never lived in times like today when it comes to church religion we're seeing things today that I, I never thought I'd be seeing in my lifetime my brothers and sisters we are on the brink of something the world is changing so far the church is changing everything is changing woe to the rebellious children say to the Lord take counsel but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Whoa! Covering, cover, cover, cover. To cover it up. I don't have sin. I don't need to change. But when Jesus comes back, every eye will see him. It'll be the greatest event. And notice the armies. Jude speaks about these armies and armies it's, it's going to be a great army an army made of the righteous an army made of those who know him and serve him and it'll be all groups of people in this army it's not just the church but those that served him before the church we'll talk about that in just in a few moments as I close you ever heard that song the, the, he's got fire in his eyes sword in his hand he got an army marching through the land and he calls us you and me to be part of this army an army that's coming back with him back to exercise judgment upon the earth judgment upon those who've rejected God they had opportunities on earth but they rejected they constantly rejected they had God's a merciful God he's gracious yes he is he's merciful beyond mercy he's merciful 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 but they kept rejecting and rejecting and rejecting God's mercy kept extending they kept rejecting he kept extending his hand they cut it off extending his hand they cut it off constantly over how many times has God extended his love to Israel but he cut their hands off. How many times has God extended love for you and for those people watching on Facebook and some of us have cut that hand in rejection over and over and over again they rejected 
rejected, rather have the rocks fall on them. You see, the purpose of the second advent is for judgment, the vengeance of the Lord that we see in Isaiah 61. Now, I want to show you something. When Jesus, when Jesus preached in Luke chapter 4, when he went to, Lazar, uh, to Nazareth, and he just so happened to be in the synagogue that we visited, not the synagogue, but we went to Nazareth, when we went to Israel, Lord willing, we'll go back to Nazareth, but Nazareth, but notice, watch what it said, verse, chapter, verse 14 of chapter 4 in the book of Luke, and Jesus returned by the power of the Spirit into Galilee, so watch this now, Jesus all of a sudden as he's ministering, feels led of God, the Spirit of God brings him back to a certain region, the Spirit of God brings him to a certain place, at a right time, at the right place, for a particular moment something's about to take place now watch this verse 15 and he taught in their synagogue being glorified of all and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and his custom was that he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read and there were delivered unto him a book of the prophet Isaiah and when he had opened the book he found the place where it was written Uh, we just read it in Isaiah chapter 61 the spirit watch this now of the Lord is upon me because he hath appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the what to the, to, to the captive and, and, and recovering the sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord and he closed the book gave it to the minister and he sat down well hold on pastor hold on pastor something's missing here that's right there is something missing can we go to Isaiah 61 please and I'm going to break it down for you. Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. Watch this now. Can we have it? And the Spirit of God is upon me. So far so good. Because the Lord hath appointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. We read that in Luke 4. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. We read that. And the opening of the prison to them that are bound. We read that. Jesus read that. Chapter 4. To proclaim the acceptable year. Yeah, we read that. But hold on a second. And the day of vengeance of our God. Where's that? Did, we, did Jesus read that? Did Jesus? Let's go back to number. Let's go back to Luke 4. Let's go back to Luke 4. What does it say? Does it mention anything about vengeance? Here's Luke 4. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Where's the vengeance of God? Jesus left it out. Why? He closed the book. He didn't. Why didn't he complete reading Isaiah 61? Can someone tell me why? Do you want to know why? I'll tell you why. When Jesus came the first time, he came as what? The Lamb of God. The Lamb didn't come to execute vengeance. He came to execute mercy, grace, and love. And salvation. But when he's coming back as a lion, he's coming back to fight. And that's when the vengeance of the Lord will be exercised. That's when he's coming back at the lion of Judah, right here in Revelation 19. You see, there's two different areas. He is the lamb, but he's also the lion. Even God's omissions are anointed. Jesus has both offices. He is the lamb and the lion in one. 
and with the armies are going to accompany him. Oh, but my friend, I, there's not much you're going to be doing though, I'll be honest with you. You'll be accompanying Jesus, but you won't have to lift a finger because he's going to do all the fighting himself. Thank you very much. I know you're wonderful and great, but uh, he's going to do all the work. We're just accompanying him. Here are the armies of heaven. We are with the Lord. He's coming. He's coming in all of his power. He's coming in all of his might. Now I want you to notice, the church will be there. The tribulation saints will be there. The Old Testament saints will be there. Notice the armies of heaven are in plural. Did you notice the armies are not army? Armies, three groups of people. What are these people? The Old Testament saints who believe, the church who've been raptured, and now these tribulation saints who got saved during the tribulation who are now in heaven. These groups of people are going to be in white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to be in white. Now, have you ever seen anyone going into battle in white? Uh, have you ever seen an army going into battle in white? When, when, during World War II or World War I, all the soldiers that I've seen on television and, uh, and, uh, and, and some of the, the services you might have on November 11th for Remembrance Day, they're not wearing white. They're wearing dark green. Sometimes they wore navy blue. Nobody wore white. Strange clothes to wear when you're about to fight a war. Going into the battle of Armageddon dressed in white. But you see, even though they are in this army, they don't have to do anything, my friends. The Lord is going to do anything. He is our God. He is our warrior. Mighty is He. He is the one, and He's just going to speak out, and the fight will be over, just like He did in Gideon's army when He selected 300 men who didn't even know how to fight Him. And when the Midianites faced Him with 10,000 men, what a, they, 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 the Bible says they began to fight among themselves because God just spoke, brought confusion, and the Midianites came down. He did that the second time with Jehoshaphat chapter 20. When Jehoshaphat prayed, when, when, when the enemies came against him, and, and they, he was outnumbered, and he fasted, and he prayed with the nation of Judah with him. And what happened? They came to battle, and the exact same thing happened as it did in Judges. God brought confusion, and they started to fight among themselves. Amen. God did it! Amen. You're not going to fight battle. We don't fight against flesh and blood. God will just speak out. Like he did when the walls of Jericho came down. Oh yeah, they surrounded the walls. Do you think it was surrounding the walls? It brought, God just spoke it out and the walls came down. Joshua had to do nothing. Just, just formality. See, we'll be with him, but it's formality. We're just part of We're not going to do anything. We're just going to accompany him. Accompany him. And the truth is, that's how it is in everything, whether it's our salvation. It's nothing we can do. It's what he's already done. Miracles. It's what he's done for somebody years ago got, got healed a person came up to me and says thank you for healing me I said excuse me excuse me I don't heal I'm no healer God is the it's the same thing so we see the armies the advent 
Then notice the authority of Christ, verses 13 to 16. Here we have a description of Jesus, a sword out of his mouth. And we see this in Revelation 1.16, the same thing. The Bible confirms the Bible. The Bible confirms the Bible. Notice a sharp sword speaks of the word of God. But I want you to notice here, the sword in the Greek is a little bit different. It's a long sword or it's almost like a javelin. It's light and it's long so it can be thrown as a spear. This means he's ruling with this rod of iron. It speaks of power, Psalms 2. This speaks of his absolute sovereignty, power and authority. And as Jesus leads this army, on his thigh there is a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is his true name. You see, he is the sole ruler on earth he's the one who's got one foot upon the land and one foot upon the sea here we see the lion of judah reclaiming his authority on earth remember second corinthians 4 4 uh, uh, um, isaiah 14 satan was cast upon the earth and he became the god of this world little g first second Corinthians 4 4 the, and, but now jesus is coming as a lion to reclaim his authority upon the earth his authority upon the earth. It's the Lord that fights the battle. It's always the Lord. He's got authority. He is the king. No one else. Everyone will bow before him. As I mentioned, nobody will super. No name under heaven is there salvation but by the name of Jesus. Only him and him alone. This is the name that no one else can have. It belongs to him, strictly to him. And this fulfills another prophecy. Can we go to Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6? And we find a prophecy about the Messiah, about Jesus as he's born as an infant to a virgin, Isaiah chapter 7. But Isaiah now chapter 9, we get to see the Messiahship of Jesus and what he'll be doing as a lion. I want you to notice Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 for unto us a child is born we're going to be looking at that in a few weeks and born in Bethlehem unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders what government I don't see any of his government upon his shoulders and his name shall be called wonderful counsel mighty God the everlasting father what government what what government this is a prophecy of when Jesus comes again and reclaims his authority and we enter into a time here of the millennial period where the devil will have no more access as he's cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. When the Bible speaks of the government, it's talking about Jesus' reign here upon the earth that will take place very, very soon. That's what it means by government. In one verse, we see thousands of years. taking place he's born in Bethlehem that's the lamb but the government that's the lion you know when Jesus was here on earth there was no government he what did he do to establish a government upon the earth that won't take place until the millennial period after the rapture after the seven-year tribulation Wow government this fulfills this prophecy we see Jesus fulfilling all the prophecies and then lastly the avenging of Christ the avenging of Christ you see friends the world will be reclaimed notice verse 17 of chapter 19 
two F's, the fouls and the foes of heaven. The fouls and the foes of heaven. Look at verse number 17 of what's going on. Jesus is fighting the battle of Armageddon. We are with him. But we come to an obscure verse. Verse number 17. And it says, look at what it says here. Let me read it. And I saw, John has a vision, an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls, those mean birds, that fly in the midst of the heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat of the flesh of the kings and the flesh of the captains and the flesh of the mighty men, the flesh of the horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men both free, bond and small and great and I saw a beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him and sat on the horse against the army and the beast was taken and with him the false prophet who wrought miracles before him and which deceived them and had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped the image these both were cast alive into the lake of burning fire with brimstone and the remnant were slain in the sword of him that sat upon the horse which sword proceeds out of his mouth. What's going on here? As Jesus comes back to fight the battle of Armageddon, the church has been raptured, seven years tribulation at the end, he fights the second advent of battle, we're coming with him. And there's a battle. The Antichrist is leading his armies. Nations are warring against, imagine that, imagine you're warring against God. The Antichrist who's deceived the world is fighting against God. Remember, he always had enemy. He always had odd against God. He wanted to be like God. And now there's a battle. Notice the fowls and the foes. The fowls of heaven. We just read it. John sees these things. It, it, it's like these birds. But I did a, this, bird, this word in the Greek means vultures. It's the word arnon. It's also found in, in really 18.2 in Revelation 17.20 when it speaks of a vulture. In other words, the angel is calling all the vultures of earth to come and to have a feast upon the fallen carcasses. I know it's graphic, but the revelation is graphic. The world is graphic. Sin is graphic and what we're going to see a warfare and we're going to see a blood of 180 miles I've been to the valley of Jehoshaphat where the battle of Armageddon is going to take place 180 miles of flowing not water but rivers of blood from those that have fallen and it's going to stink miserably and this angel is calling these vultures to feast off the carcasses of the dead I know it's graphic I know it's ugly but sin is ugly And these fowls, which are vultures, are feasting. Both great and small. Did you see that? Verse number 19. I like every word. Verse 18. Both great and small. So while we're having the supper of the marriage of the Lamb in heaven, the bride of Jesus, this is going on on earth. Somehow we reunite, we go, but I don't know exactly the details and how, but, but while this is happening, so this is taking place, we've now gone back to heaven and we're in this marriage supper of the Lamb for seven years. We've received our rewards and now, and now we have this supper of the Lamb and we see all this barbarity taking place on earth and these fowls are eating upon their, this carnage Notice the foes of heaven, verses 19 to 21. Not only the fowls of heaven, but the foes of heaven. This is a graphic scene again, descript, 
blood flowing, stench everywhere. But notice what's taking place, verses 19 to 21. They are gathering to make war against the Lord. They are gathering to make war against the Lord. How ridiculous to get all these armies to fight against the eternal one. Here we see the great battle of Armageddon taking place. But there's no real battle. God just speaks the word. In this army will be the revived Roman Empire. Ezekiel 38 of Gog and Magog and the ungodly nations. Some of the Muslim nations. Many scholars believe that Russia will be part of this. Syria and these Muslim nations. Iraq be part of this army fighting against God. Some of the European nations. Gog is interpreted as Germany. We, I don't have time to get into that. If you want to know more about that, you got to go into my daily devotions and there's a section that I talk about that. But there's this huge battle taking place of this army. This is an army of the ungodly. Notice there's three people. There's, there's this revived Roman Empire, this army. You see the prophet, you see the beast, and you see the antichrist. I call them the unholy trinity. The antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet. The antichrist that's possessed by Satan. The beast and the false prophet. The unholy trinity. And what are they going? what's their outcome? They're going to be cast into the lake of fire. Do you see that? The false miracles that the Antichrist was doing, that people were being deceived. They were being deceived by miracles. Deceived by false miracles, by false prophets. And they run to them. And the Antichrist will be very religious, by the way. The Antichrist will know the Bible better than you do. And they're going to flock all around him. He's going to have religious people following him. Notice I said religious He's going to have political people following him. It's not going to be a question of red or blue or liberal or conservative. They're going to follow him because he's got the answer to man's problem. And he's going to lead some armies to fight against God like he always wanted to. But they're going to be cast into the lake of fire after the battle of Armageddon. He's going to be bound for a thousand years. Then after the great white throne judgment, we can talk about that. When the Lamb's book of life is presented before all the ungodly. And they're going to see, is your name written there? Their names are not written in the Lamb. And they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. Called the second death. All those who defy God. Here is the zenith of all the rebellion and barbarity executed by the Antichrist. This is why judgment comes upon the earth, friends. The beast is taken. The false prophet is taken. The Greek word literally means snatched by the, by the scuff of the neck, cast into the lake of fire. Wow, verse 20 and 21. Do you see that? The beast, the false prophet, will be the first inhabitants, Satan himself. This will be their final destination. All who defy him will enter this place of darkness and fire. 
And for the preachers out there that don't preach hell, who don't want to offend people, you better read this scripture. Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Did you know that? They don't want to talk about hell because they don't want to offend you. They don't want to talk about judgment because they don't want to offend you. They want to get people coming to their church. They want to have a big building, thousands and thousands of people. They don't want to talk about hell, sin, and repentance. Read what it says here. Read what it says here. They will be cast into a lake of fire, of brimstone that's what it means fire anybody who defies God over and over and God is merciful he'll always give you a chance that's his love that's his mercy you keep defying him over and over and over and over again you can be sure whatever you sow you will gospel of Jesus Christ is not inclusive it is exclusive what that means is there's no many roads to salvation Jesus said I am the way the truth and the problem is the world doesn't like that they want to find many ways Oprah Winfrey who tells us there are many ways to God she's wrong and she calls herself a Christian she's not a Christian Pastor Dina, why are you naming people again? Don't you know that's offensive? That's okay. Maybe some of you will pay attention now. There's only one way. You see, that's exclusive. People don't like exclusive. And so, what do we do to get you to come to my church? What do I do so I won't offend you? Let's make the gospel inclusive. Let's let people know that there's many ways to God and he loves you and it's okay and so let's 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 not be offensive to the to the gays and to the to the drag queens and let's not be offensive to to these people on the peripheries let's make it interesting and make it appetizing for everybody to come in and so let's not make it exclusive let everybody come in have the drag queens preach in our services there's an evangelist called penny cost p-e-n-n-y cost she goes around preaching in all these churches dressed up drag drag preachers now we have drag preachers we don't want to offend that community so let's get a drag preacher we have a female Christ on the cross so we won't offend certain feminist groups and so in some of these united churches you'll find Jesus crucified with breasts how offensive is that so we have no problem offending God but we got a problem offending man. I got to close. Going on forever here. I got to close. I got to close. And so, what do I need to do, Pastor? Do you know? You preach this message here with. Well, let me just say to you, as I said from day one, the Bible is not given to us for information. But for what? Transformation. I got two W's as I close. God warns us to woo us. He warns us to woo us. To woo us to what? And for what? For change. To do something. Did not Jesus say in the Gospels, 
I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day for the night cometh a man will not be able to work did not Jesus say that what does night mean Paul said we must redeem the time stop wasting time stop wasting time redeem the time Paul said to walk circumspectly Jude said having compassion snatching them out of the fire what fire? The fires of hell. There's something that you and I are called to do, brothers and sisters. We, the church of Jesus Christ, who know this, who have the information, are compelled. He warns us to woo us. We are wooed. We are wooed. It behooves us, in other words. We are wooed to do. If we know that he's coming again, there's something I need to do. I don't just know he's coming again to feed my, my knowledge must cause me to do something I have a responsibility again with the W's to watch and to walk with expectation to watch with expectation and to walk with expectation for the Bible says that's right sir that preaches only little messages and illustrations it doesn't quote the Bible and if you do it's only one worse verse the Bible says he that hath this hope purifieth himself First John 3 what hope the hope that he's coming again friends if you have a hope that he's coming again there's something that you and I need to do we have to be like Esther take our bath in milk so to speak as we prepare to meet the king we are preparing ourselves and Paul said in Ephesians 5 we need to walk circumspectly we need to walk wisely we need to walk worthy of our calling so there's something I need to do I need to watch and walk Revelation chapter 18 are you ready Revelation chapter 18 watch this now here's a nugget that comes out of nowhere Revelation chapter 18 verse number 4 and I heard another voice from heaven saying come out of her my people that ye be not partakers of her sins did you hear that Mr. Progressive Christian that believes we have no sin? What? That believes we don't have to repent? What? Come out! Who? My people! That you won't partake with our sin. In other words, you could have the tendency of partaking if you're not careful. Did you see that? Did you see that? You can be influenced if you're not careful. That's what it means. I don't know how we don't see it. I, I don't understand how people just don't see this. I, I don't get it. I tell you, we, because we've become blind. The devil's blinded. There's blinders we don't see. This is what it says. My people, my people, my people, my people. He's coming. Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. The Greek word is tiko. It's tachometer. It's a tachometer you have in your car. It detects the speed. I'm coming quickly. I'm coming with great speed. Tiko, tachometer. I'm coming with the twinkling of an eye. I'm coming with great speed. I'm coming. Got to close. Got to close. Watch this now. I used to play a lot of hockey. And before Amanda was born, my second born, before Amanda was born, I used to play hockey. And I had a pager. My wife was pregnant with my second. And I had a pager in my hockey pants in case my wife was going into labor while I was playing hockey. 
not kidding you. Do you remember that, Nadia? So I had this pager back there. That's, that's how far I go. It's a pager. That's it. I had a pager in my hockey pants. I had a pocket. And I ha- I'm playing hockey with a pager. So I'm trying to play hockey and make sure that the pager, hoping that the pager wouldn't go on. It never went on. But I had a pager in my pocket just in case Amanda would be born. Just a pager, a pager. Well, brothers and sisters, I'm here to declare to you, we have another kind of pager. It's called the Word of God. And the Word of God said, I'm coming quickly. And the question is, are you ready? Are you ready for his coming as a thief in the rapture? And he's coming again with his saints. The signs are before us. It's all around us. It's all around us. It's time, my friends. It's time. Are you ready to pack up? Are you ready? It's time to pray up. Are you ready? It's time to look up. Why? Because we're going up. We're going up. So we got to look up. We got to pray up. That's how you watch and pray. Because we're going up. For what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saves me by his grace. And when he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. What a day. Glorious day that will be. And what a day that will be. Can we all stand together? When my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face. The one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand. And leads me to the promised land. What a day, glorious day. Every head bowed, please. Every head bowed on Facebook, YouTube. My heart is burning. I really, I I don't know where you're at. I don't know, I just don't know. Some of you on Facebook, I don't know. Some of you on YouTube, I don't know. Will you be part of this army? Jesus said he's coming back with the army. Dressed in white. The question is, do you have a reservation? To be part of this army. It's an invitation this morning. If you want to be part of this army, you need to make an intentional commitment. It's got to be something that you do intentionally. You have to give your life to Christ, serve Him. The only way to be part of this army is to be in Christ. There'll be no surprises. Either you're in this army or you're not. The question is, am I in this army? On every head bowed. We're going to hear this song. We're going to pray. And this song talks about the army that's going to march through this land. And I pray that everybody in this room will be part of this army, but I'll be honest with you, I don't know. Remember, friends, because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. Are you washed in the blood? 
Are you born again? That's what makes you a believer.